Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cod Cabin, the most famous Massachusetts political podcast that starts with Cod and ends with Cabin. My name is Jack Leary, and I'm joined by Adam Bast, Jesse Hahn, Logan Rabe, and a special guest, Calla Walsh, a digital fellow for the Markey campaign. Calla, it's great to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, we are really excited to have you. Uh, so to start off, why don't you tell us and our viewers just a little bit about yourself um, and your previous and current work in politics? Absolutely. So um, I'm 16 years old. I use she, her pronouns, and I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, and right now, as you said, I'm working for the Markey campaign. I have been like volunteering and organizing for Ed in different capacities since last September, so over a year now. Um, but I have experience um, on campaigns at all different levels. Um, I worked on the Warren presidential campaign. I worked on a state rep campaign for the primary um, and then also have experience at the congressional and the Senate level. Um, but yeah, I'm super uh, passionate about, you know, electing progressive candidates, especially uh, underrepresented candidates um, from, you know, marginalized backgrounds. Um, and I think especially in Massachusetts, we have a lot of work to do um, and a lot of potential to, you know, elect more progressives since we're already such a blue state. Definitely. Uh, I have one important question to start things off here um, as someone who uh, has definitely started to get into uh, the electoral side of politics recently. What's your win-loss record for working on campaigns? So I've only won two races that I've worked on. Um, they are also the only two straight white men that I've only worked for. <laughs> um, yeah, but I guess obviously it's still a loss if you you know your candidate doesn't win. But I do feel like the races that I've worked on, even if the candidate themselves hasn't won, they've still you know made an impact. Um, whether it's just like changing the state of the race, you know, um, pushing the incumbent farther left if it was an incumbent challenger, um, or you know just like the Warren campaign for example, we obviously did not win, but I still feel like that race was super impactful. Um, and you know, it's also about like the people you meet, the relationships you make, um, and the lessons you learn um, just from working for different candidates. So yeah, I, I don't have the best win-loss record, but um, I guess it's all about how you think about it. Definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm personally from 20, uh, the primary cycle this year, I'm 0-2. I'm uh, I was a fellow for Alan Casey, um, and then I was the field director for a state rep campaign uh, that was pretty close, but just short. And I, I definitely agree um, with the whole pushing the incumbents and, and getting the message out there. Uh, so I'm going to throw it. I know Jesse had at least one question prepared. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, uh, I was going to ask you about the Markey campaign and the work you did on that, um, starting with the, the Markeyverse. Can you like talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess the loose definition for the Markeyverse would be an online community um, that was organically created um, of all these different sort of niche accounts um, that were created by young people um, in support of Ed Markey. And they're not just accounts. The people behind these uh, accounts are organizers. Um, a lot of them were like volunteers or fellows for the campaign. Um, and so if you've ever seen an account that's called like Plants for Markey, or Indie Girls for Markey, or Hot Girls for Markey, or, um, you know, like Students for Markey was the um, group that I helped organize. Um, and all of these accounts that were sort of anonymous on the surface um, were all part of the Markeyverse. Um, and so it ended up being way bigger than we expected it would, but there were hundreds of these accounts. Um, and they weren't just tweeting, they were actually, you know, getting us shifts, um, you know, dropping donation links, helping us. Um, trend bank which is like getting hashtag sticking with ed or um 
something about the Senate race trending on Twitter. Um, and so it was really cool to see hundreds of hundreds of people um, come together and really like unite and the energy that we had and um, just the shifts that we were able to recruit and um, like the momentum we helped build for the campaign in the most critical time, you know, when vote by mail was going out. Um, and then during GOTV for election day, um, in-person voting was super critical, um, I think, for the campaign to get that online energy and then turn out the youth vote, um, turn out like the parents of people, um, of kids who couldn't vote, but, you know, wanted to persuade other people in their life. What do you think is the impact of something like the Mercuryverse? Do you think someone in the future, like I, I, th I remember you said, or someone said that this can't be just like recreated by the candidate. You have to have organic support behind it. Do you think exactly. a future, do you think a future candidate in Massachusetts could win statewide without something like the Mercuryverse or is this the future of Massachusetts politics? I definitely think it's possible to win without youth support. Um, a lot of campaigns, you know, don't invest in youth um, in like turning out the youth, which is disappointing. Um, but I think the fact that, you know, Ed Markey was down 17 points in the polls um, right at the beginning of this race. Um, and, you know, he's the first guy to beat a Kennedy in Massachusetts. Um, I think no one can deny that that wasn't because of his youth support. Um, and a lot of people have been sort of confused. They think like, oh, we like reinvented Ed Markey. Um, oh, we totally transformed his image um, and like remade who he was. Um, and it's it's been kind of frustrating to hear that narrative. Um, and we've sort of pushed back on that because the Markeyverse isn't just something you can like artificially um, like man manufacture um, because it really was um, all organic, like you said. It was all because um, Ed supported the policies that we care about um, because he was fighting for young people. And that's why we supported him. And so this isn't just something where you could like write um, write a one pager about how to create your own Markeyverse. It is really about, um, you know, not only just going to the youth to get their support, to get their labor to, you know, make calls for you. It's about asking them, you know, what issues do you care about? It's about hosting events with them, not just, you know, taking advantage of them for a photo op. Um, and Ed did that throughout the race. Um, he's always, you know, cared about youth. He's always, um, you know, been the kind of person, I don't think he doesn't not have kids himself, but he's always been the kind of guy who like loves talking to young people. Even if we can't vote, he wants to know, you know, what issues we care about, where we go to school, what we want to do when we're older. Um, and I think that's not something you can just recreate. It's really about the values of the campaign and the values of the candidate. Great. I know Logan had a few questions. I'll toss it over to him. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. And thank you, Cal, for being here. Um, one of my questions was about, uh, you mentioned earlier about how Massachusetts has the potential to elect a lot more progressives. And I know there's been some debate about whether Massachusetts being a very democratic state actually makes it progressive or not, or if there's just many moderate Democrats. But I wanted to ask you, since I'm sure you've talked to many voters over various campaigns, do you think this is, do you think Massachusetts voters are truly progressive? And do you think it's changing with more young voters? I would not define Massachusetts as a progressive state. I would define us as a blue state, and I don't think that um, is equal to progressive. I think there's a lot of um, people, especially at the state level, like in the state Senate, the state house, um, who just have a D next to their name, but there's still, you know, there's anti-choice legislators, there's anti-LGBTQ legislators who are part of the Democratic caucus, which is absolutely wild to me. Um, but I think a lot of um, a lot of it is because Massachusetts is a blue state and the Democrats, you know, don't have um, as much meaningful opposition to have to like define themselves against. Um, and so when there's so little like 
um, so few Republican candidates that, you know, are serious challengers to Democrats, we're sort of able to like drift further and further right, because there's no one that we have to, you know, define ourselves against to clarify our policies and really show that contrast. Um, and I mean, like, look at uh, Bob DeLeo, for example, like, he's, uh, he calls himself pro-life, um, and he's the Speaker of the House, um, which is crazy to me. And so even um, like in the, at the presidential level, like Massachusetts, um, I think out of all the Super Tuesday states had the lowest support for Medicare for all. Um, and I think a lot of people underestimate the establishment force of Beacon Hill um, and the state party, um, which you see, you know, in some of like the congressional primaries this year. Um, and I think people also underestimate, you know, the strength of like special interest groups in Massachusetts, um, just seeing how so many, you know, PACs, um, and different groups, um, especially, you know, like big pharma groups, um, developer money is huge, um, and just like corporate PACs, the power that they had to um, defend almost nearly every incumbent um, in the state house and, you know, putting so much money behind a lot of the congressional incumbents. Um, I think a lot of people underestimate the power of those and it's easy to overlook it since Massachusetts is so blue, but um, it is really a challenge to, you know, get out some of these people who have just been there so long, um, very entrenched Democrats who are not progressive whatsoever and are really, um, you know, it's, it's not Baker who's keeping progressive legislation from being passed. It's the moderate Democrats, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. And another question I had was over the summer when the Senate race flipped from the Kennedy lead to eventually the Markey win, did your campaign really uh, expect that or was that more of a surprise? Um, well, as you said earlier, you know, we don't ride the polar coaster, but I do think that we started to feel a lot of that energy um, before the polls um, that had us leading even came out. And um, as Ed always says, you know, don't agonize, organize. Um, and I think that the energy we were able to create, even when there were polls still coming out um, that had us down, I think we start we started to feel that you know like we have the youth support we have the progressive support there are people you know who've never volunteered on campaigns before or been politically active that are coming out um and you know making hundreds of calls a week in support of ed um i think that energy was really unmatched um and i know i know what it feels like to lose as i said earlier you know i've worked on many losing campaigns um and we never felt like we were losing um because the energy we had and Obviously, it was super exciting to get out those polls um, that had us in the lead. It was shocking um, just to see, you know, that that vast jump from the early polls in September 2019. Um, but that never like made us say, "Oh, we need to organize less. Oh, we need to, you know, not work as hard." Because um, it was all it all came down to like who could turn out their supporters um, to vote. And so, whenever like a new poll came out, the Markyverse would mobilize, you know, drop volunteer links, drop donation links on all of those posts and it started working, you know, we had so many more people making calls. Um, we started out raising Kennedy, which is pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, I would say that it did feel really cool to, um, to start, you know, like seeing ourselves coming the lead, but it was really just months and months of hard work from beforehand, before national attention was on this race, before people knew who Ed Markey was um, that brought us there. Right, well, I'll pass it over to Adam. Thank you, Logan, and thank you, uh, Kala, for joining us on the COD Cabin. It's an absolute honor for you to be here. At any rate, I would like to talk about one of the data points that happened in the Massachusetts Senate race, and that is not only 
that Ed Markey got a ton of support from young voters, but also from older voters, 65 and 65 plus voters. And I think it's really interesting that a coalition based on young and old voters can coexist, especially in a, in a political time where everything is very much at odds with each other. So my question to you is, do you think, much like in the Ed Markey campaign, there are, there are common grounds for young voters and older voter, voters to stick together? Absolutely. Um, I think Ed Markey is definitely unique in that he was the most progressive candidate, but he was also the incumbent. Usually it's the other way around. Um, and I do think older people tend to stick with the incumbents more, um, especially, you know, people who are like active in the state party, I think really saw no reason um, that Ed Markey deserved a primary challenge. But I think it, it is really cool to see um, older people, you know, sticking it out for the younger generation. Um, often some of our phone banks would be like a ton of like 12 to 18 year olds and then like people in their 60s and 70s, which is cool to see. Um, but I think we can still unite on a lot of the same values. Um, and even Ed as an older person, he's fighting for young people, like I said earlier, um, you know, especially with like climate, the Green New Deal. But he's also uh, led on a ton of stuff that matters to older people, um, like healthcare, social security, um, Alzheimer's is a big one. Um, and so I think that shows like how strong of a candidate he is, that he has the ability to appeal to people um, who, you know, feel the pain of all these issues. Um, and he's fought for all of us. I think that's a brilliant answer. Uh, speaking of voting, Massachusetts is starting to vote very, very soon. Mail-in ballots are starting to arrive, as well as the deadline for voter registration, which I believe is October 17th, is coming up. Are you and other volunteers within the Markyverse helping Massachusetts voters vote in the general, general election, as well as encourage younger voters to vote in the general election? Yeah. Um, so the Markey campaign is mobilizing for a ton of candidates, um, down the ballot candidates um, in Massachusetts, like Becca Rausch, for example, um, who's a great progressive and has a Republican challenger, um, but also, you know, candidates in other states. I know we've made calls into Maine, um, into New Hampshire. We're helping um, some down the ballot congressional races in Texas um, and a few other states, which is super cool. Um, and then obviously Ed has a challenger himself. I think there's a debate soon. Um, but yeah, I think that the young people getting them out to vote and especially, um, you know, the fact that vote by mail is very, has been pretty confusing, um, especially for, you know, college students, people who are maybe voting for the first time. Um, there's a lot of um, like mixed messages. Um, people are not really sure, you know, do I vote like where my college is? Do I vote in my home? Um, and so I think getting that voter education out is gonna be super important. And the Markey campaign has launched a Vote 101 program um, to sort of educate young people on how to vote, how to get their friends, um, their classmates, um, other people in their life to vote. Um, and then also, you know, just like investing in. So I know the Markey campaign is, you know, still having a lot of fellows like me. Um, and there's some specific people, some of my friends from students from Markey who are working on that new youth vote program. and you know, teaching youth not only, you know, this is how you make calls in support of candidates, but this is how you can leverage your experience, you know, to get hired on a campaign, if that's something you're interested in. There's been stuff like resume workshops, um, like career counseling, which I think is super cool because it shows that, you know, they're not just using us like for labor to make calls, but also, you know, they care about us and they know how um, imperative we've been in this race um, and they're investing in us. That's, that's incredible. Uh, I'm going to pass it over to Jesse, who has a very pressing question about Boston politics. 
Right. Um, as you know, obviously, Michelle Wu is running for mayor. Um, we here on the show talk about her chances because that's what we do. And uh, so I wanted to ask you, what do you think her chances uh, are of winning next year? Um, I think she has the best chance that um, any like Boston um, challenger has had to an incumbent um, in a very long time. I think that, you know, the coalition she's built across Boston um, since she started on the council has um, been really unbelievable compared to other um, other candidates in the past. And um, after the 2019 elections, you know, seeing a majority woman, a majority people of color council, um, it's Boston's really not the same landscape that it used to be. Um, and I think she's also, you know, been out there on the forefront of all these, um, you know, policies that a lot of people might consider controversial um, in Boston, you know, like a Green New Deal, fair free transit, um, defunding the police. And she has been um, such a strong voice on all those issues um, that I think she has over a year to, you know, continue advocating for those. Um, and I think she absolutely has a chance. Um, you know, her first race, she was, you know, just out of Harvard Law School, a young woman of color running in Boston, and she was the second highest vote getter after Ayanna Presley. And that's pretty crazy. Um, and I think she has, you know, continuously, you know, finished at the top, um, top one or two in the Boston City Council races ever since she was first elected. Um, and I think she absolutely has a chance um, at beating Marty Walsh. Yeah, I want to return to um, to something you just said. You were talking about the Markey campaign and their their efforts for you know youth engagement, youth youth involvement. Um, and I, I wanted to to bring that in to you for a second. Um, you're you're 16 years old, um, and a lot of lot of people your age. I know even when I was your age, you know I I wasn't nearly as um, politically involved. Granted, I'm I'm not much older. Um, I want to know how you got your start. What kind of motivates you um, to be so involved, and how you initially kind of got into the game here? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think. I first initially, you know, started getting involved, I guess, like volunteering on campaigns, um, going to protests um, and like meetings for organizations, um, just as something for myself. You know, I felt like I had no control over what was happening in our country, um, in our world, um, especially after Trump was elected. Um, and I wanted to do something that, you know, even if I couldn't vote, I wanted to feel like I wasn't just sitting by and like watching our country go to ruin, watching our planet get destroyed. Um, and so I feel like often it's sort of uh, just a thing with your consciousness to know like you're doing an action, you're doing what you can um, to make a difference instead of just sitting by and feeling like you're doing nothing. Um, and then I think I realized, you know, this is actually something I'm really interested in and passionate about. Um, and I started getting more and more involved. Um, and now like it's what I want to do with my life. That's, that's incredible. I think many young people could definitely look up to you for inspiration in regards to that. I, I do want to ask you about one question, or I should say a ballot question that has been going around. And that, of course, is question two. Question two is on ranked choice voting. And many people are going to be looking at this question for the first time. And you are on the team helping advocate for this vote, as well as educating people about what it is and what it does. So if you could, for our listeners, explain what question two is, what ranked choice voting is, and give a simple explanation for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been a fan of ranked choice voting for a really long time. Um, like I said, I live in Cambridge and we actually have a form of ranked choice voting for our municipal elections. Um, we have nine at large city councilors and it's been really cool to see um, 
the way campaigns work differently under systems of ranked choice voting. Um, so for example, candidates, you know, work together, they sort of team up if they share values, share policy, um, share policy plans, um, and they campaign together, they say, oh, yeah, well, you, ra you rank me number one on your ballot, but you know, rank my friend, this other great candidate number two, because you know, we agree on a lot of the same stuff, and I want to work with them on the council. Um, and that's super awesome. Um, it's also, you know, the most democratic way to do it. Um, but I guess I can explain it quickly. Um, a great example um, would be the um, MA fourth race, which I know you guys covered a lot. Oh, we cover quite a bit of it. <laughs> Just a tiny bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but pretty much ranked choice voting prevents candidates who aren't actually that popular from winning in a crowded field. Um, so often, you know, especially in open seats um, or in very exciting races, there will be a lot of candidates that jump in. Um, and when there's fewer distinctions between um, candidates, you know, maybe it's progressive candidates, maybe it's moderate candidates, those votes get split up. Um, and if, you know, no one drops out, then that ends up meaning that, you know, a less popular candidate, but someone who maybe is the only one, like the only moderate in the field, the only progressive in the field, wins even if they're not the most popular candidate. Um, and so I see it as a way, you know, to get the most, the most voices heard and also um, as a way for voters to, you know, not feel like they have to compromise their values um, or like vote strategically in order to also, you know, make sure that it's the best outcome for their state or for their country. Um, so in MAO4, um, obviously Jake Auchincloss won and he was a moderate. Um, a lot of people really don't like him, especially, you know, since he has a history of Islamophobic, misogynistic comments. Um, and a lot of people ended up splitting their votes between like Jesse Mermel, Natalia Linos, Isan Lecky, um, who had fewer distinctions between them. But if, you know, they'd been able to still vote for the candidates they wanted to, but then rank someone like Jesse Mermel second, she probably would have beat Jake. I see. Well, I definitely wish you the best of luck on that. Uh, I'm going to turn it back to Logan if he has another question. I don't actually. Well, then that's, that's, <laughs> that is something very interesting. Well, let me ask you this then, if any of you would like to definitely talk a little more. Um, I would say one thing that is very interesting right now is that there's another uh, person in the Boston mayoral race, and that's Andrea Campbell. Um, uh, your thoughts on her? Do you wish her a good race? Any, any sort of uh, interesting things that we are looking for, for her? Yeah, I think she's great. Um, she is, you know, obviously more progressive than Marty Walsh. I think a lot of um, the stuff she's led on for police reform and defunding the police has been so important. Um, and her personal story is also really amazing. Um, and I definitely, you know, wish her the best of luck. She has a really awesome campaign team. Um, and as you guys obviously know, um, like the Boston mayoral race, there'll be a preliminary election in September, and then the top two vote getters. Um, will go off um, into the general election, likely against Marty Walsh if he runs for re-election. So um, I would never, you know, like encourage her not to jump in the race. I think it's so important to get more voices heard, especially considering um, Boston has only had white men as mayor. I think it's so cool to see, um, you know, two women of color in the race who are both progressive. Yeah, and uh, building off that, and I, I saw this on Twitter, and I think I've commented on this in a previous episode, but not only has Boston um, only been run by a white man, uh, but that white man has either ever been born in Boston or Ireland. Uh, so there's not a whole lot of uh, diversity either uh, in terms of ethnicity or birthplace. Um, I think we're coming up on time here, but uh, one last thing. 
Um, if you had one thing uh, that you'd want to say, a piece of advice to give to other people uh, your age that are starting to get involved in politics, uh, what would you have to say to them? Hmm. I would say, you know, often it's intimidating to um, join a phone bank or go to a meeting um, that, you know, might be all people who are older than you, um, all strangers. Um, and honestly, it's just about taking that first step um, and getting involved. It's never going to feel easy at first. Um, it's always going to feel a little scary, but you should never, you know, doubt yourself. You should never say, I'm not qualified enough to be here or my voice doesn't matter just because of your age. Um, and you end up meeting so many cool other young people who are also often the youngest in the room and really like forming super strong connections with those people um, and uniting over the issues that matter to you as young people, I think is the best thing that I've gained from being a young person in politics. And it's easy to, you know, underestimate yourself and to think, oh, what I'm saying doesn't matter as much because, you know, there's older people who have a degree in political science or have worked more cycles than I have, um, but our input still matters so much. Um, and we, you know, have a lot of um, input that others don't, you know, having grown up on social media, um, being most impacted by a lot of issues like climate change, um, gun violence, for example, I think, um, yeah, just never underestimate yourself and also don't be afraid to just jump into it um, and see where it takes you. Some great advice right there. Uh, we're coming up on time, but thank you so much, Kala, for joining us today uh, on today's episode of The Cod Cabin. We are just under one month from election day. And while uh, it's not too much of a question where Massachusetts's 11 electoral votes will go, uh, there's still lots of interesting down ballot elections. Uh, in November and also going into 2021. So I hope you guys will uh, continue watching. Until next time, signing off.